0: podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. It has been said that the closer one gets to the altar, the more likely it is for one to become a missionary. Now, I'm using that term in its broadest sense, not traditionally with one who goes to the deepest part of the jungle of South America or to some remote region in Africa. If Jesus Christ is in you, then you bear a message to be shared, amen? If Jesus Christ is in you, then you are a missionary for him. In Isaiah chapter 6, there you go, (laughs) in case you were wondering, the prophet is, is touched by a burning coal from the altar and as a result ends up saying to God, Lord, here I am, send me. Church, when the opportunity comes to serve our Lord, when that opportunity crosses our path, we should be sure not, to not miss that very opportunity. No matter what the call to service may be, if the call comes from God, we should surrender to that call. The Bible starts, the, the chapter, the sixth chapter of Isaiah starts off with in the year that King Uzziah died. In that year, the Lord gave Isaiah an extraordinary vision of himself. Obviously, Isaiah needed this very special encounter with the Lord. Why this was necessary is not specifically stated for us. We're not told. But I think one thing that we can safely assume, Isaiah's faith needed to be strengthened. Do you ever find yourself needing to be strengthened in the Lord and your faith? This is what I think is where Isaiah is. He's needing to be strengthened. He needed to know beyond any doubt who the Lord is and the extreme importance of the message that was being given to him. Let me just pause real quickly. You see, Isaiah has already given five chapters of how bad Israel and Judah are at this point. It's kind of like here in chapter 6, he pauses this classic Hebrew style here in chapter 6, he pauses, oh, and it's kind of like saying, oh, and by the way, here's how the call of God came to me. <laughs> He's already been been prophesying and speaking to the people of Judah and Israel, and here in chapter 6, oh, and by the way, let me share with you how this all started for me, and that's what we have going on here in chapter 6. It was the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, the, the Lord Almighty the sovereign creator, and the majesty of the universe. That's who it is that is calling Isaiah into service. Okay? So let me ask you a question. When God calls you, what typically is your response? We're going to see what Isaiah's response is, and hopefully from this point on, if it hasn't already been your your continual, ongoing response to the Lord. Hopefully from this point on, it will be in your life for the rest of your days, for as long as you have breath, serving Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's who it is that is giving this call to Isaiah. This is who it is who is asking him to proclaim God's message to his people. King Uzziah has died. And so what that means is the throne in Judah is empty. This is a big deal for the people of Judah. It's a big deal for the prophet Isaiah. He experienced a great spiritual blessing they did under uh, Uzziah. He saw that although the throne of, on earth was empty, because the king is gone, although that throne is empty on the planet on earth, Such was not the case in heaven. Don't you love that? I think that is so cool. No matter what's going on here, no matter how bad, how messed up it is, it is not there. And so God gives Isaiah this perspective, gives him this vision so that he can be encouraged by that. Such was not the case in heaven. It was fully occupied, the throne there. Fully occupied, fully and filled with the glory of God. How does this apply to us today? Well, like Isaiah, we need also to do what Isaiah did. And that is to look up and see the Lord. Would you agree with that? How important it is. Let's look at the first four verses of this sixth chapter in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were saying to one another and calling out to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Can you picture that with me? Picture six-winged beings just kind of flying around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 4, at the sound of their voices... We want to see the power of God at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds of this is heaven that where Isaiah is seen. Okay, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Like all devoted citizens, Isaiah had respected and admired King Uzziah with no doubt. He became king, Uzziah did, when he's only 16 years old. We learn that he reigned in Judah for 52 years. It's a long time, isn't it? 16 years old reigns for 52 years, and 2 Chronicles 26, verse 4 tells us, as it did for all kings, it was either bad or good, but for Uzziah, it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so Uzziah had become very powerful and under his leadership the southern kingdom attained extreme wealth and success unlike any since the days of Solomon. Unfortunately, toward the end of his years Second Chronicles became powerful. His pride led to his downfall and he was unfaithful To the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uzziah made the mistake of offering, going into the temple and taking upon himself that which only the high priest could do. Okay? He's, He's so full of pride, so arrogant, he totally ignores that and goes in to take it upon himself. Again, only the priests could do that. When you read about that in Second Chronicles, it lets us know that the priests who were present when he did that confront him. Hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. And in his pride and his arrogance, it's basically saying, he's, I'm kind of filling in the language here. He says, who do you think you're talking to? At that moment, he is struck with leprosy. And ended up dying in that situation. A leper. Ended up having to be separated from all other folks. Put away somewhere. And ended his days as a leper. Folks, disobedience to the Lord is a serious thing. Not to be taken lightly. And so it says in King Uzziah died. In the year that happened is what where, is where we are. Isaiah realized that though the nation had prospered materially, it was in terrible condition spiritually. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) The economic growth and temporary peace were nothing more than a mere veneer that covered a nation with a wicked heart. What was going to happen to Judah? God lifted Isaiah's eyes from the situation, from himself even, and from the people to the throne of heaven. I love that. Oh, how we God's people today need that kind of experience and encounter with the living God. We're so busy looking around here and getting caught up with all of the stuff, all of the craziness and all of the junk and and it takes us down with it more than we might even care to recognize or or admit we need to get into that place where we are looking up and seeing and beholding our God in his majesty and in his glory and in his power it changes everything perspective matters don't you think So Isaiah realizes this, and God lifts his eyes from this situation, helps him get his eyes off of himself and off of the people and off of the stuff, and he's seeing the throne in heaven. There might be confusion and unrest on earth, but there was perfect peace in heaven. God was seated in majestic power and in glory. People on earth might be recalling the shame of Uzziah's death as a leper, but there was no shame or shadow of failure whatsoever on the throne of God in heaven. Not even close. Rather, the seraphim were saying, flying around and saying, Holy, 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 holiest Lord. Interestingly enough, in John chapter 12, where Isaiah this portion of scripture is being repeated in John chapter 12 we are told that there's a bit of a theophany taking place right here for Isaiah what do I mean by that John lets us know in John 12 that Isaiah literally saw Jesus Christ on the throne and in his glory John 12 verses 38 through 41 if you don't believe me (laughs) you can read it he sees Jesus Do we need to see Jesus or what? He was on the throne of heaven being praised by the seraphim. His royal robe, robe says it filled the heavenly temple and the house was filled with the smoke of that. Scholars tell us that that smoke is speaking to and pointing to God's anger against the sin that existed in Judah, which I think will be made a little bit more clear here in a little bit when we see what Isaiah's response is. Okay? So we're told by the scholars that this smoke represents and speaks to, is pointing to God's anger against the sin, not against the folks, against the sin that the people are committing that existed in Judah. The word seraphim, you guys, means burning ones. Interesting, don't you think? <laughs> Suggesting a burning purity and zeal for the Lord. Perhaps their presence suggests the burning, consuming fire of God's holiness in, um, in his ability to execute his justice and judgment. In appearance, the seraphim were apparently... Kind of a little bit of a human look. We, we are told that they, they've got faces and they've got feet and they have voices. The different part is they've got wings and we don't, right? They're, these seraphim are not robots, church. They're not programmed to say, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> they are superior creatures of incredible intelligence who are so, hear me now, so captivated with the one who is holy, the one who is so amazing that they don't leave day or night. They're just there in the presence of God. Oh, that God's people would learn, yearn, and desire the presence of God and want to be it and not leave it like that. Here's the deal. The more we read in his word. The more we walk in his path. The more we hear his voice. The more. Impressed we will be with him. The more we will want to be with him. I believe that to be an undeniable truth. More time you spend with him. The more time you will want to spend with him. The more time you don't spend with him the less you will care about spending time with Him. The Lord Almighty is, seems to be to me Isaiah's favorite name and term for God. He uses it at least 65 times in this book. Yeah. It actually means the Lord of Heaven's armies. Yahweh in other words, is the God of holy warfare. The God who opposes sin and defeats the enemy. Isaiah needed to realize this very fact in a day when Judah appeared to be on the ropes, if you will, ready and about to go down for the count. As the seraphim cried out in verse 4, the power of their voices shake the very foundation of the temple. Even the doorposts and thresholds trembled. What's the Lord doing here? Why is that holy happening? I think he's giving Isaiah a vision of his power and his presence. Seeing this would remind Isaiah of God's awesome power and ability to execute justice upon the earth. God could get her done, is what he's letting Isaiah know. This is, I think, a good practical lesson for Christians today. When the day is dark, we're being encouraged here to lift our eyes, to look up to heaven, and through eyes of faith, see Christ on the throne. I love that. What more comfort could you and I receive in a faith acted out like that? Yeah, it's messed up here. Man, the circumstance, the situation, the event, the events that are taking place, the things that people are doing is so bad, it's so dark. But we can lift our eyes and be encouraged. Because of whose we are, (laughs) because of who's in control, the sovereign one, the Lord of angel armies, the heaven's armies, amen? If that doesn't boost your faith (laughs) and encourage you in your walk, I don't know what will. You see, I think it's interesting to note That it was when Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord. Not till then. Interesting. Isaiah no doubt enjoyed what the people of Judah were enjoying under Uzziah's reign. But he never saw the Lord until he was gone until the earthly throne was vacated. So too you won't really see the Lord until your Uzziah is put in its proper place. Your Uzziah could be anyone, anything that you've looked to, gone to, relied on other than Jesus Christ. Yeah. That which has taken the place of the Lord the Supreme Lord in your heart. Folks, we've got to learn to keep our eyes on Jesus. Would you agree? It is so key and so important, keeping our eyes on Jesus. I was in a conversation just the other day with, with a couple and I found myself saying, is for Marilyn and I, you know, having been doing this for the amount of years that we've been doing this and serving Christ, I just, you know, we were talking about some others that had kind of um, been hurt and not serving now these days and so on and so forth. And I just, I was in an honest, transparent moment. I said, you know, in ministry, it it can chew you up and spit you out. It's just how it is. That's the truth. But when one keeps their eyes on Jesus, I'm here to tell you, I can tell you from experience, he gets you through. Our eyes have got to stay on him because once they get off of Jesus and onto that problem, onto those people, onto that situation, you will go down. You remember Peter? Lord, I want to walk on the water. Call me to you. Now, I know we get down on Peter because of what happened, but I got I to gotta be honest with you. I think the very fact that he even wanted to and got out of the boat amazes me. I don't know that i done that. <laughs> There's a storm going on, right? And he's, he's willing to get out of the boat. And you know the story as long as he's got his eyes on the master. Yeah. He's doing good. Yeah. I can hear all of heaven said, Way to go, kid! <laughs> But then he got his eyes off Jesus. He got to thinking about what he was doing. <laughs> Wait a minute. These waves are above my head. I'm not supposed to be walking on water. And out he went. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Marilyn mentioned how we saw that we went and saw the Jesus Revolution film last night, and it, w- it was awesome. I recommend if you haven't gone, you need to go see it. That's just some encouragement for me, okay? That's a better word than saying I, I, I command you to go. <laughs> In the name of the Lord, I command you to go. I encourage you. You will be encouraged. As we sat there and And just again, just began to rethink about our days when it all began for us. If you go and and you'll see that, you know, when Calvary Chapel started out in Costa Mesa with the hippies, the Jesus movement, these guys turning from drugs to Jesus. They started that they just got this circus tent and put it up because there were so many coming, they they couldn't fit into the building anymore. It was in that tent. 1972 that God got a hold of my heart. (laughs) (laughs) And he has blessed me with blessings like this (laughs) ever since. Church, you have a story Where did it begin for you? For us for Marilyn and I was in that tent. The bunch of long hair freaks. <laughs> I guess I was one of them actually. <laughs> Come to think of it. <laughs> but Jesus showed up and I got my eyes on him and they've been on him ever since 45 years we've been serving Jesus folks it pays to keep our eyes on him I just want to ask will you join Marilyn and I in continuing to follow Jesus he's got you on speed dial you know And when he calls, will you say yes? Day after day after day, no matter what the difficulty of the call, no matter what he's asking you to do, no matter how difficult the person might be, he wants you to share your faith with, will you say yes? I plead with you. Join with us in serving Jesus and saying yes and keeping our eyes there and looking up. Until your Uzziah is less important to you than the Lord is, you'll never really see him. Can I say that again? Unless your Uzziah, whatever it is, Becomes less important to you than Jesus, you will never see Him. And it's in seeing Him that makes all the difference. Your eyes need to be on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Verse 5 through 7, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, see. This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What are we being encouraged here to do? First it was look up. Now we're being encouraged with what Isaiah is doing, looking within. Because when we look up, we will see Jesus. When we look within, we will see the real us. Are you tracking with me? Isaiah takes a look within, which is the result of what's seeing in him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, wow, I'm like way, way, way off from being anything close to the glory and majesty of what I've just beheld. Yes. And the result is an evaluation, if you will, <laughs> of our own hearts. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he instantly realized that there were problems in his own heart. Thought all was well in his life. He was doing really good. I'm certainly not like them, and I'm not like them. I'm good. Until he saw Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until he saw Jesus in his glory, in his holiness. When he did, he was made very aware of his shortcomings. (laughs) Now, you guys remember in chapter 5, Isaiah had six woe to those in that chapter. Remember that? Woe to those, woe to those, woe to those. Here in chapter 6, it's not woe to those, it's woe to me. (laughs) I love that. Woe is me. That's always the way it is, church. When a self-righteous rabbi saw that his own righteousness, which he thought was pretty good, was but garbage next to the glory of Christ, he became a believer and became the apostle Paul. When Peter realized who Jesus was, he fell down in his boat and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinner. In Revelation 1-7, when John saw the Lord on the island of Patmos, he fell down as though he were dead, it tells us. Isaiah did not cry out, woe is my neighbor. (laughs) Here in chapter 6, he cried out, woe is me. And he thought at that point he was a dead man. The smoke, the anger of the Lord, the glory of God, woe. Until we are able to see our own condition, our own failures, and our need for repentance before the Lord, we will never ever really truly come clean. When, we're, when we come face to face with who He is and who and what we are, it will produce humility and confession. When Isaiah confessed his sins, he mentioned his unclean lips. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things that he mentions in his seeing God in his glory and then seeing his shortcomings, he talks about his lips, his mouth. Of course, unclean lips are the product of what? An unclean heart, right? Perhaps Isaiah specifically mentioned his lips and the lips of the people among whom he lived because they were not using their gift of speech like the seraphim were using their gift of speech, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, giving him praise and honor and worship Do his name. Yeah. Perhaps instead, profanity, complaining gossiping we can go on from there couldn't we all stop there I think you get the idea Isaiah realizes that he could not faithfully serve the Lord unless he was prepared and cleansed God met the prophets need don't you love that our God is good isn't he Kenny he? he met the prophets need sent a seraph to cleanse him the hot, burning coal. Not to torch him, but to bring healing and cleansing and to build him up. As the coal touched the area where Isaiah was plagued, it wasn't to burn again, as I just said, but to lift him up. To get him to a place where now God is has a tool, has an instrument, has a mouth to speak through. Please note that true worship ought to lead to witness and service, church. Too many Christians, I think, want to hold on to a spiritual experience with the Lord rather than be prepared to go out to share the Lord with others. We just want to keep it all here and enjoy it to ourselves. So we need to look up and see the Lord, and we need to look within and see the real us. And then thirdly, we need to look out to see the needs, is what we find Isaiah doing. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, (laughs) here I am, send me. Everything to this point, folks, was all about preparation. Now God can call Isaiah and use him to proclaim his message, his word. The prophet, hear me now, folks, is no longer wrapped up in his own needs. He wants to do the will of God. He is no longer burdened by sin. He has been cleansed. He is no longer discouraged. He knows that God is on the throne. Now he is ready to go to work. To serve. Notice that Isaiah doesn't passively say, well, you know, if you can't find anybody else. I kind of hear Igor's voice, don't you? (laughs) Uh (laughs) If you want, I guess you can use me. No. You see, in the original text, it indicates he's, he's kind of like jumping up and down. Behold me. Don't look over there. Here I am. <laughs> look at me, Lord. It's kind of like the enthusiasm of a first grader yes. who's got the answer. <laughs> he can't stay in his chair. Teacher, teacher, call me. Isaiah's waving his hand and saying to the Lord, look at me. I will go. Send me. You can count on me. I'm all in. How can I not go? I've seen you. I've been touched by you. I'll go. I'll serve you in any way you've called me to serve you. I'll never forget You know, fast-forward a little bit from 1972 and just coming to Jesus in that Calvary Chapel tent, Costa Mesa, California, with all those other hippies. Since God called me into ministry, both Marilyn and I, and um, as a part of that, believing he wanted me to go do some Bible college, which I was not real excited about. I I wasn't the greatest student. in high school. In fact, in high school, I don't think I ever did one report. You know how you got to do those book reports and stuff? I don't think I ever did one. So here I found myself in Bible college having to do reports. (laughs) Like, oh man. It it, it caused me to be a prayer warrior. It really did. (laughs) (laughs) Calling out to God like you wouldn't believe. Oh, how I need you now. Wish I would have paid attention in high school. It's during that time. So Catch the thing here. I'm, I, I'm saying yes to God, and I'm excited about it. I'm enthusiastic. I want to go get prepared. I can hardly wait to get through Baba college so I can get out there and start doing it, right? Yeah. I'm in a church service. It actually happens to be the church that I was a kid went to. I've gone back to that church. I'm in there, and we've got a guest speaker that day, and his name was Tony Salerno. I remember his name, and he does one of those things that so many of those guys were so apt to do. He gets up there and he says, um, I believe God's sending me or directing me in a different, different direction. I'm not going to preach the message I prepared to preach. I'm doing something different. I heard that so many times. So I'm sitting there and he gives a little thing. And he, he, where he's working and moving toward is an altar call. He feels God is leading him to give an altar call to those who had said no to God. Not necessarily in salvation, but in the opportunities he wanted them to do in the calling of God, in in a mission. Rather, you know, it wasn't necessarily a big thing going to Africa, like just just saying yes to God. Now, in the church that morning, on that Sunday morning, there was maybe four or 500 people. So I'm thinking, as a young Bible college student, excited about serving Jesus what three or four (laughs) maybe tops remember that anybody so you know and then again everybody starts off that way right then it's (laughs) because you know I'm interested I know these folks most of them okay I was I was shocked literally shocked when I looked up and saw 40 to 50 people had come down front who had said no to God. And I can remember sitting there thinking, how do you say no to God? As if that's even an option. (laughs) And then I began to kind of look at some of those lives that had gone down there. I knew some of them. I knew some of the heartache. Not good situations that they found themselves in that had developed. I couldn't help but wonder, had they said yes to God, would things be different? That doesn't mean that saying yes to God relieves us of hard stuff. I'm not saying that. You know that, right? But they were not living in victory. At least when we're facing hardship when serving Christ, there's victory. Amen? Why? Because our eyes are on Jesus and he will get us through. He is the faithful one. And I thought, oh my, God, I don't ever, ever want to say no to you. I'm trusting that you won't either. We need to get our all, church, on the altar of God and come to the place where nothing means anything. Anything to us. But that which he wants. From us. Amen. We need to submit. Surrender. And be willing. To sacrifice. I need to hurry. Look at verse 9 and 10. With me. He said. After Isaiah responds. Send me Lord. I'm your man. God says. Go. And tell this people. But then look what else God tags on to that. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Go and tell, God says to Isaiah. This, this is God's commission to us today, church, isn't it? That hasn't changed. Living it, speaking it. What did Jesus tell us in Acts 1.8? You remember those words? And you will be my what? Witnesses. Where? To the ends of the earth. It was not an easy directive God gave to the prophet that day for the nation at that point was in absolutely no mood to hear messages about sin and judgment. (laughs) We've already seen that, haven't we? Verses 9 and 10 pack such a powerful punch, they are quoted six times in the New Testament. Every gospel has one, and then we find it in the book of Acts, and then also in Romans. Six times this passage is quoted. The obvious question begging to be asked here, is God saying that he deliberately blinds people and condemns them? Is that what he's saying here? No, not at all. And here's where we need to really pay attention because this would be true for us as well, every single one of us in this room. What he is saying is that the word of God will do one of two things in all of our hearts. It will either set the captive free or make the captive even more of a captive. It will have a hardening and blinding effect on those who will not listen or yield. It's been said that the sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. What a great saying that is. I think we can assume that many of the people were faithful in their worship attendance. They regularly heard the Word of God, but their repeated hearing was not leading to understanding or change. Instead of truly listening, their minds were wandering about no doubt focused on themselves. They may have even witnessed God working in the lives of other people, yet they never perceived that they themselves needed a work of God in their very own hearts. Simply stated, when they attended worship service or heard the word of God being taught, instead of being energized, they became sleepy. Instead of their hearts being softened and opened, they became closed and hardened. Instead of becoming more interested in the things of God, they became less and less interested, apathetic, and complacent. In the process, their hearts became more and more callous towards God. Verse 11 and 13. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie in ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah asks how long, basically God says, all the way until the judgment comes. What's he saying to Isaiah? I want you to preach and share the word, but they're not really ever going to listen. Talk about a hard job. I'd be thinking, woe is me for a different reason (laughs) than what he was doing. It is not God who deliberately hardens hearts of people making their ears deaf and their eyes blind. Rather, it is people. It is people who continually resist God's truth. Oh, I wish how folks could know this and understand this. The people who will be in church weekend after weekend after weekend, 20, 30, 40 years and not know the damage that they have done to their hearts because it never connected the dots that there's a difference between just hearing it and then going out there and believing and living it and then they wonder where's God I don't don't know that he's all that real don't see him don't feel him don't understand him don't get him well, no wonder. Rather, it's the people who continually resist God's truth. It is the stubbornness of people's hearts, their repeated refusal to hear the word of God and not surrender their lives to him that dooms them not accept to not accept the wonderful salvation or the transformation or the plan that he so graciously offers. But even still, this is just astounding really, but even still, there is hope. Even after a chapter like chapter 6, following what we saw in chapter 5 last week, there is hope. The Lord will save a remnant, it says. A tenth of the people Even though the nation will be removed and sent far away off into captivity, this prophecy applied immediately to the captivity, but it also pictures God's dealing with the people of Israel in the last days when a remnant of Jews will believe during the tribulation period. Isaiah pictures the nation as a tree cut down, the stump remains and a new shoot can grow from it in chapter 11 verse 1 of isaiah this stump relating to there jesus christ all oh, there is hope church how great is our god's grace amen so when isaiah walked out of the temple that day he was no longer a mourner he he, he was a missionary <laughs> in the broadest sense of the term. He was not merely a spectator. He was a participant. Isaiah had seen the Lord. He had seen himself, and he had seen the need. Knowing that God was on the throne and that the Lord had called and commissioned him, he was ready to share the word and to be faithful no matter what. I would say a worthy example for us to follow. How about you? The one request of us is not that of intelligence, ability, or skill, but that of surrender. God simply calls us to be available. Surrender to his call and to his mission. Once again, will you join us in that? No longer just living for ourselves, but living for Jesus. And finding, like we saw in Philippians, that that is where the true joy is found. In choosing Him, keeping our eyes on Him. Like Isaiah, are we willing to be sent? Whether it's across the street, across the ocean around the block, or around the office, are we willing to be sent? Are we willing to spend our lives being spent in the service of our King, our Lord, and our Savior? I hope your answer is like the first grader. (laughs) Look, Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me. Use me. Father, we come before you this evening. And this, um, this message has been something dear to my heart. I think probably connected to what Marilyn and I experienced last night. Just being reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness. Yeah, there has been tough times. Yes, there has been difficulty, there has been bumps in the road, but I can truthfully say it has been worth it all. I can truthfully say that I said way back then in 72, not having a family yet, but would be someday, that remains true to this day, along with Joshua. I stand and say, as for me, In my house, we will serve the Lord. At this point in our lives, we find that our house has gotten a little bit bigger as it includes every single one of you. And so once again, will you join us in saying yes to Jesus every single day? every time he calls, every time an opportunity crosses our path, will not tell the majestic one, the God of angel armies, the sovereign one over all the earth. How dare we even think to consider saying no. And may we always answer, yes, Lord. Here I am. Send me. I'm your man. I'm your woman. Use me for your kingdom and for your glory. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. As we look up, as we look within, and look out to see the needs. And it be all for your glory and for your kingdom, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com So I will listen